Oh, I can't even put it into words, but it's just like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I'm so glad that, you know, I know the hard work has been put into it, but it's still almost like I'm living a dream. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm excited to go to work every day. I'm excited to come back to the family and just keep that that cycle going um, because I feel like, you know, being able to come home happy so that I'm not bringing home that stress to my family when they just want to play or when they just want to take it easy and let their hair down. It's like, you know what? Let's do it. Hi, this is Morgan. Welcome to If These Walls Could Talk. This podcast is dedicated to supporting mural art in the San Francisco Bay Area. We will delve into best practices for professional mural artists so that we can figure out how to spend the best hours of our days getting paid to paint and hone our craft so that more truly remarkable mural art can get made. Together, we can make the world a more beautiful place, one wall at a time. Welcome back to another episode of If These Walls Could Talk. Today, my guest is Andre Jones. His art alias is Natty Rebel. He originally comes from Virginia. He's had some stopovers, I know, at least in Pittsburgh. We're going to find out more in the interview. He currently resides in Oakland. He runs a nonprofit, the Bay Area Mural Program. And he's also creating his own art, raising his family. We're going to talk about your your art, Andre, and also BAMP. We're going to sort of split it, hopefully 50-50. I know that they really loop back together, and so we'll go into that. But yeah, I just, you can I start just with a few background questions? Sure. Some things that, so actually, I you might be the first podcast guest I've had that went to art school. So I'm super excited. I have to ask a question about that. I know because it's a mural artist podcast, you know, so many of us, we just pick ourselves. Yeah. Um, there's not a credentialing program for, you know, mural arts. So I wanted to know, how do you feel like you're, I saw you had a commercial art degree, super yeah. interesting at um, Virginia Commonwealth University. Is that correct? Yeah. How did that, how do you feel like anything you gained there served you well in your like work as a mural artist as a mural artist yeah there's um there's a lot of things that i would say i took away from the university life um into my career number one i feel that most people go to college or university to try and figure out how to get a job um i think my vantage point was a little bit different when i started i was already with the mentality of like how do I use what I learned at the university to create jobs? If I can create jobs, then I'll always have a job. So I was studying not only the curriculum that the professors were giving us, I was studying the professors. Um, I was wondering, you know, what qualified you to be able to speak to large groups or to even say that you have this expertise. So even within my mind if there were certain professors where I was like you know what how did you you're just a paycheck professor I gave them very little respect I would still attend their classes but I'm like you don't live this you don't you don't do this but then I had a handful of professors that were like devoted would jump up on the table and be like what makes this red so red and it's like because this blue is right here next to it the contra and I'm like yes you love what you do and <clears throat> That, that was the driving force of, you know, uh, creating my own little t-shirt company my sophomore year in college. I realized people loved their sneakers, their Jordans and all this. I was like, what if I create uh, t-shirts that match people's sneakers? And instantly, you know, I was selling t-shirts all throughout the university and started selling t-shirts in Philly and New York. Um, so I was like, okay, all right, I see, you know, what buttons it takes in order to kind of create your own path, create your own job and stay busy and employed doing what you love. Wow. So you were really paying attention, not just to the art instruction, but also the how, how people are doing it, how they're thinking about it. Um, and also where the passion is. It sounds like you were really interested in that authenticity. Definitely. Definitely. And your instructors. That is super great answer. That's really cool. Thank you. So 
And then another cool aspect of your background, you you were making murals in Philly, maybe part of the Philadelphia Mural Art Program. Can you tell me about that? And particularly, I'm going to guess that probably inspired some of your work in organizing in Oakland. Most definitely. Most definitely. So even from Virginia Commonwealth, fast forward, I you know graduated 2002 and then moved up to New York. I figured, you know, New York was the the mecca of art and creativity. So I figured, let me go ahead and <laughs> I'm in my son's room. So he's, yeah. So New York being the mecca of, of art creativity, I've moved up to New York, wanted to make a, a living, um, you know, just being a professional artist. So I figured New York was the place to do it. Um, and also got to use my commercial art degree, did some billboard designs, but wasn't really in love with what I was doing. Um, and that's when I had some friends, I was doing festivals, you know, Philadelphia, I came down to Philadelphia and I just saw the murals that I wanted to do. You know, it was, it was almost instantaneous. Cause I had, like I said, I've been doing graphic design, billboard design in New York. And I was like, okay, I'm making some kind of creative mark, but this isn't it. This is, you know, it's like, you know, and then when I got down to Philadelphia and saw murals everywhere, I was just like that that's what I want to do. I want to do that. So I worked with the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program. And the distinction right there is also because it's so community-based in Philly, right? They yes. had an ecosystem of arts organizations and somehow also um, city support or like how, yep. why did that happen? And it, and, and I'm guessing, was it that community aspect that all of a sudden was your light bulb? Um, it was the community aspect. It was, like you said, also Philadelphia, I think is the second largest, uh, city funded, you know, uh, funded art program. So you got Chicago and then Philadelphia, I think that received the largest funding just for, for art. So I was employed in Philadelphia, not only through the Philadelphia Mural Arts program, um, big picture program. There's always some after school art program that I could find employment or find a, a niche you know, just to stay employed. So yeah, that was a big aspect of even just wanting to stay in the arts and not, you know, succumb to that struggling artist. Uh, I'm creating artwork, but I can't pay my rent. There was always opportunities to, you know, pay rent, work with you, do community engaged projects. Um, you know, my, my large passion along with uh, the arts has always just been um, youth engagement. I think that's why I ended up with six children. I, <laughs> I, you know, I love, I hate to even say it, you know, I love watching and working with young minds. Uh, a lot of times more than even adults, adults can be so stuck in their ways. The creative energy might be lacking, you know, young minds just like they can take zero and zero and see how to make that turn into two. Like they, there's no limitations. So working with, um, you know, working with my children, working with community-based organizations, after-school programs, you know, and then always just, you know, switching it up, like working one program for three months and then going to another program, just having that impact and keeping it fresh and, and working with just different communities has always just been a, a driving force for me. So I think that's where even fast forwarding into the murals and, and making sure that, you know, when I work on a mural in a certain community, um, just engage in that community, um, just to even see what, the, you know, what floats their boat, you know, what are they looking for? So now, mm. you know, after doing that, it, it just turned into a nonprofit organization. I've had people that were just kind of like, you know, what you do is, you know, like you could get funding for this. And it's like, yeah. So it, it took us even like three years to even figure out how to utilize our nonprofit status. Cause to me, it was just about, let's find walls, let's find communities, let's beautify. Mm. Yeah, and that reminds me, I've heard you describe yourself as sort of an art anthropologist in the way that you're really trying to excavate stories, cultural identity from within the communities within you, where you work. And I'm sure this applies to both your personal art making and the BAMP projects you take on. And I'm wondering, like, how you go about that? How you go about meaning making? What's your process? How do you engage with the community in a way that 
you know, you find those resonant stories. How do you, how do you live out art as anthropologist? Um, I guess it's, you know, it's just starting at home, start by studying what makes you tick, uh, studying, you know, how your family dynamic works. Um, and then even, you know, like we, it's, it's so interesting to me, right? So everybody has, you know, two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents. So the numbers just always double. So we're these great, vast, you know, collaborations that make up our current person. But when we really study, like, all these grandmothers and great-grandfathers that we, like, we're these awesome stories that are culminated into who we are today. So if we can even just kind of like start there and for some of us, you know, like some of us know our great grandparents, some people have to go do in a little, you know, digging and, and researching, but that journey of even just finding out those stories for those that still have their grandmothers alive, you know, just even hearing them, you know, sometimes the stories sound crazy, but when you really decipher it, it's like there's jewels and gems in those little stories that, you know, that get forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, remember when I moved up to New York and was living in Brooklyn and my grandmother was like, oh yeah, you know, you're, you know, my grandfather had passed away, but he was like, oh yeah, your grandfather used to live in Brooklyn. And I'm like, I'm 25. Nobody's ever told me. I thought grandpa was just a little country farmer, never left Virginia. He used mm-hmm. to live just that empowered. Like as soon as I knew that it just felt like I was walking down the same blocks that he was in Brooklyn. And I just could hold my chest a little bit more proud and be like, yeah, my, my forefathers walked these same streets, you know, and it's just those simple little connections, those stories. Um, we all have them in our family. And, and then even the stories that, you know, we connect in our personal lives, like my children's mothers from Zanzibar, East Africa. So we travel back and forth to, to Tanzania every year or, you know, COVID, we had to take two years off, but is um, just even adding that part of the story to our narrative and, and just studying her side of the family and the children going to Tanzania and learning Swahili and Arabic and Turkish and, and really getting to, to tap in with their roots over on that side. It just That's builds so cool. You know, um, just I, you know, we're such visual people and this resonates with me so much because this last year, I just decided to get a one-year um, ancestry subscription. They're like, uh-huh. it's hundred bucks a year. It's expensive. So <laughs> I was like, I'm doing, I'm doing this. I'm going to get all the information I can, and I can only take screenshots. And I just went back all these generations, and I made a wall map for my mom, and yeah. you know, to put it up on the wall. And I had never thought about, you know, you have, you can actually print out like sixty-four. You know, you're, they're your great, great, greats. They're your parental yeah. greats, grandparents, whatever. That you're, it's like a fulcrum. Like we always yeah. think of the family tree, like you have one set of grandparents and then they have all these kids and they have all these kids and you're kind of meaningless. You're just sort mm-hmm. of one of 64 from this one set of grandparents, but it's the opposite too. Yeah. You can look at it from the other way and it's like, and then you just go back. I mean, what? You just can imagine not not many hundreds of years, how many people have fed into your sort of genetic, like soup and thriving. It's a really interesting lens. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. And then for me, I'm, you know, I'm left-handed. So I you know, wonder how many left-handers we had in the family, how many creative out-of-the-box thinkers we had. And, and just, you know, even playing with those notions and ideas, um, I feel like is the, you know, the exciting part of anthropology or even doing these studies. I've also spent a lot of time in Africa, uh, Ethiopia, Kenya, um, right after college when a lot of my uh, you know, fellow art graduates were like, oh, you know what? I want to make trips to, to Italy and see the 16 chapels. And I was like, you know what? That sounds exciting. It's on the bucket list, but I want to go to Ethiopia because I feel like some of these are the oldest paintings, almost some of the oldest cartoons on the, on the earth. And I'm a big cartoon lover. I add a lot of, you know, animation or even humor into, uh, into my work. So like, even for me, that was a journey of even just going and studying Ethiopian artwork, you know, putting some of it into my, my artwork, um, even getting, 
the accolades of coming back to Philadelphia, which has a large Ethiopian community and, and painting for the Ethiopian Community Center, the Ethiopian, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, one of the, one of the, it's not a church, but it's, it's like a, a, a activity center, like a, not a youth center, but it's, uh, let's see, are you in, you're not in Philadelphia, no. You're, where are you located? I'm located on the peninsula, Bay Area. Oh, you're here. You're in the Bay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, we haven't gotten that far yet. We're still. I'm still on my East Coast tour. <laughs> this is so. What I'm hearing is actually the art anthropologist is also you excavating from within. I love that you started with yourself. Like, what's true for you? What's true about your family and your roots? Um, so there's so much authenticity to that story and then you know i'm sure wherever you go you're you're finding those correlations within every community yeah exactly and i feel like to me it's just it makes sense and a great place to start of you know even as artists we all even if we all did this if we were all painting the same person we would still have our own interpretation of how we illustrate or draw that person or come up with that portrait so I feel like, you know, it's all a personal study of, you know, self and then, you know, just how we reflect that outward. So, you know, that's kind of just how I've gone about my artistic career, finding out, you know, like, what is my story? Because that's the one thing that makes us all unique. Nobody can tell your story better than you can. So it's like, let me try and figure out how to master telling my story and then it'll be easier when somebody else asked me to narrate or help them tell their story. That's a great point. I love that. So it sounds like like the starting point is always for you, what's authentic to you? And, um, you know, I think that is so important for hitting on a really true storytelling element in any art, you know, if it's a song or it's a movie, it's got to be really resonate true for the individual. Um, but then there's this other piece, which is as mural art, mural art is definitely on other people's walls and there's a huge collaborative component. And I'm wondering, how do you balance the explosiveness and creative expression that your inner artist wants? Um, and then finding that meeting point with a paying audience or, you know, like your, your personal expression versus what the brand that might sell would look like. Um, and, you know, I have this conversation with some of my younger artists and it takes, it, it, it really takes some time to navigate because once you find your style and what really makes you, you and, you know, what you get comfortable in, um, doing commercial art is you, you really have to learn how to separate your personal, um, art from that commercial art. So, and, and it's not so easily done. Um, I know it took me probably a good two or three years as soon as I was doing something for a client and they didn't like it. It was just kind of like, ah, all right, you know what, find somebody else to do the artwork. But I really had to find that that comfort of knowing like, you know what, I get to work on my Natty Rebel artwork um, at nighttime, but during the daytime, if I want to find a way to pay the bills off of my creative passion, I'm going to have to find some compromising. I'm going to have to you know, paint, you know, subject matter that might not be my favorite and be okay with that. So it's, it's a, it's a process, you know, mm -hmm. it's a, even with the uh, mural arts program, we do a lot of, you know, it's the bay. So we do a lot of bridges, flowers, um, poppies uh, specifically. And, you know, I tell a lot of our team members, I'm like, I right, listen, get good and get creative at drawing bridges and poppies because these are a lot of the focal points. And even if I'm like, okay, we're going to try and stay away from it. It's still going to come up. It's, you know, it's inevitable. People love, you know, these certain motifs and you can't run from them. You can figure out how to make them unique, but you have to find that comfort of knowing like, all right, <clears throat> commercial artwork is going to be around this. And then even if you want to get smart, and this is where I kind of had to, I learned kind of in college while I was trying to match people's sneakers and things like that, whatever's trending, you got to kind of jump on and be a part of that because that's what commercial is. So, you know, if it's, you know, 
summertime, people are going to want to see summer colors. If it's wintertime, people are going to want to feel, you know, like that little bit of cool when, you know, it's, it's playing to, and I tell people, you know, like these are, you know, strategic decisions, but you can have all different type of marketing plans and strategies where you can go against the grain and create your own lane. And, you know, it's just, you have to, you have to really just figure out how to separate your personal work and commercial work and it's it's a process i won't say that it's easy some people are better at it than others um i have a lot of buddies that grew up in the street art you know doing graffiti and have figured out how to you know do their graffiti which they don't get paid for and then how to do murals that they do get paid for i got some buddies that are like you know what forget murals we're just doing street art i don't care if i get paid for it i'll go do a nine to five and you know you, you got to figure out what's comfortable to you but it's interesting, you you know, the ch- the trends change. And to, so at a certain level, as an artist, it doesn't make sense to chase trends because you're, um, there's a piece of, I think, every artist that they are just called to create in a certain way or a certain flavor. Like for me, I started as a mural artist when mural art was considered kind of lowbrow art, you know, it wasn't real art by the art establishment. But it was mm-hmm. like, I thought it was great. It's super fun. And um, so it wasn't popular. All of a sudden, murals are super popular. So that's that's helping us out. So there's a question right there, which is, isn't it great that now there's more work? Okay, so that's part one. And part two is, do you feel that you can be more like in, now that there's more work and more acceptance of actually, I mean, within Oakland, within everywhere like all brands wanting to feel more inclusive that you can be more in integrity with the natty rebel identity with your authentic um creative expression even on commercial projects most definitely that uh, to answer your question is it the irony behind it is is still something that i'm digesting um i started the bay area mural program in 2017 and the whole purpose behind creating the the brand was um, Natty Rebel. Just it, I put myself into a box with Natty Rebel. I found as I was doing more international work, um, I was really just being called to do you know black art. And although my art is you know created from a black male. Um, I didn't want to just limit myself to just being in that category. So I wanted to be known for my floral patterns. I wanted to be known for my commercial art um, and not just pigeonholed into that, you know, that stigma. So I created the Bay Area Mural Program. One of the first projects we did get was Whole Foods. And I was just like, okay, my strategy is working. Now we're getting, you know, called from other organizations that can respect not just Natty Rebel as a Black artist, but the Bay Area Mural Program now has more, um, just more coverage. You know, it's not so pigeonholed by the by its name alone. Um, so, you know, Whole Foods was excited to work with us. Amazon was excited to work with us. And then the pandemic hit <clears throat> and it was so night and day because people started contacting the Bay Area Mural Program and they were like okay we don't want any more flowers and pretty motifs we need protest art we need stuff that has meaning behind it and I'm looking at all these emails and phone calls and I'm like that's so funny because when I was giving you protest art and giving you you know meaning behind you know you know uh social justice environmental justice nobody wanted to hear it now you know full circle i'm like oh okay i've created this bear and mural program to do more universal themes and now they're like no we need natty rebel back and it's just like so much all irony. right well let's do it on a so much irony. It, yeah that's the whole the, the, the irony behind it but you know it helped to level things out and be able to yes still feel comfortable creating from a standpoint that was widely recognizable from the community, especially with Black Lives Matter um, themes and, and, and things like that as, as Oakland went through its civil unrest. 
Um, but then also being able to still have, you know, companies and corporations that, you know, are known around the world still reach out to us and say, you know what, we want to work with a Black artist in Oakland, but we want it to be something that you feel comfortable, whether it's, you know, pro-Black, whether it's just a flower motif, because that was the other thing too, is it's, it's such a... Uh, juxtaposed position of Catch-22 when it's like, you know, you want to paint social justice images, but then yes, when Amazon's hitting you up and they're like, yeah, we want you to paint something pro-Black for us. And you're like, oh, but you guys are Amazon. Um, how does how does that work? You know, so it's, it's almost like button pressing when somebody's like, okay, be pro-Black now. And you're like, no, maybe I just want to paint flowers right now. Or maybe I just want to paint a nice suns sunset. Or, okay, you know, yeah. so I found that being my pushback as well, too, of just being like, you know what? Mm -hmm. We don't have to be fist in the air for every mural. Or, you know, now that the downtown Oakland is all plywooded up, you know, now, you know, you want to, it's like, we can, we're bigger than just temporary murals. We can do the long lasting permanent murals. Um, and that's where even we've gotten into the, you know, repetition of applying for some, you know, bigger RFQs in San Francisco. We just finished the big nice. mural over in Daly City. Um, so, you know, we're, I feel like there's always opportunity and we can definitely be thankful that we're in a position to where we can create art and almost still kind of play both sides of the fence in terms of um, really just being able to have voice in not only our artwork, but how we deliver it. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It sounds like deliver like being in integrity with yourselves and as a team and um, just structuring it so that it feels right both yeah content and how so i'm going to kind of jump jump forward a little bit uh, skip over bamp i really want to unpack bamp but just a little bit to wrap up i guess on the personal side right now how how do you balance your time between both you know it's a lot of administrative work you're basically running a, a program now and doing the art how do how do they tie together in terms of your overall sort of legacy and art term goals and your personal sort of expression? Great question. Um, you know, I think we touched upon it briefly at the beginning of this interview. Um, you know, it's it's a total blessing to be able to do what it is that we love. Um, so I don't have an image of what retiring looks like. I think some people have, you know, like that retirement plan and going and sitting by the beach and sipping, you know, some fancy drinks. And I don't know what retirement looks like. I think that I'm going to live, die, painting, creating. Um, I thought it is, you know, as my knees get a little bit, you know, more rickety and my my age starts to to creep up on me. Even though getting I out of a squat tired. is just a little harder these days. <laughs> I figured, you know what, let me go ahead and also create a desk job for myself to where, you know, I can kind of, you know, have murals still being created, still being a part of the conversation, still getting the respect of being 20 years into the game, but not necessarily having to climb up and down the scaffolding and the lift uh, every time, but still having it, still being in that universe, still having it just swirl around me and even being you know, one of the main driving forces to even bringing in projects and like you said, doing the admin and all the, the boring stuff and the meetings and the RFQs and applying for this. And, um, but I found even a joy in doing that because we have a great team. And what was hard for me as an individual artist was asking for support. Um, but knowing I got a team and some young artists that are going through what I've already been through, it's a lot easier for me to ask for support, to ask for funding, to add, I'm like, listen, these need yeah. it yeah, on their behalf, you know, yeah. on the, on the team's behalf. And I know, you know, it's also the, uh, 
the father figure in me as well too is like I don't want to come home empty-handed for these you know these these hungry artists in my organization they're looking for the next project after we do a Steph Curry mural their eyes are all big like what's next and it's like okay all right my might have might have fed you guys steak a little too soon but all right here, here we go awesome that's a beautiful mural um Oh, thank if you. anybody, you guys got to Google the Steph Curry, um, Steph Curry mural that they just finished in Oakland. And I really appreciated how you celebrated Steph's contribution to the community. Reading to the kids was bigger than the slam dunk aspect. It was yeah. a collage style mural. You really focused on just some beautiful values that he expresses. Yeah, thank you. No, it was great. And then even once we heard that uh, Marcus's bookstore was one of his favorite businesses in Oakland, which is the oldest Black-owned bookstore in the nation, um, which right here in Oakland, when we when we heard that, we were like, oh, oh, how do we tie that in? And we scrolled through his Instagram page for hundreds of photos and found a picture of him reading to the kids. We were like, there we go. That's how nice. we make narrative come together. Nice, nice. I, I am so grateful for being able to have painted for the last 20 years also and been able to figure out how to string it together as a career. And similar to you, um, the podcast is an effort to really help others because I feel so blessed by it. Um, and I, it's, but the structures, like you've created a mural art program that is employing mural artists that didn't really exist for us, except in Philadelphia, which you fortunately ran across. But, you know, how is it to be the one sort of doing the picking, right? There's so many artists, a lot of people want to be on the team, you know, hey, Andre, you got a project coming up, I want to be your guy. You're now in this role where you actually have to do the picking. And instead of people, it used to, it just feels like as we talked about at the beginning for our, for mural artists it's very much pick yourself because nobody's yeah. nobody's giving you a gallery showing or a, um there's not oh, really yeah. a certified yeah. path um but <laughs> so how do you how do you navigate that with your new role now it really changes the dynamic it does it does and i'm thankful that like i said we've had a really um you know, just wonderful team. And the team has even come together very organic. I think 2017, um, we did our first art competition in West Oakland. And it was $100 to enter. I really put it on initially because I was like, oh, I want to be a part of our art competition. And so I put it on. But then I started thinking, I was like, oh, if I'm putting it on, I can't enter it. That's going to be a conflict of interest. People are going to think I said it okay so i just put on the art competition the way that i would like to you know so we, we highlighted all the artists we you know showcased them on um social media instagram and then rachel wolf won the competition zoe boston came in third shido timothy b i would say about ooh, 40 to 50 percent of our team was there at that competition that art competition so a large core, I saw the AI-like mind state of people that just wanted to do art, be in competitions, do murals. Um, and the grand prize was doing a mural with the Bayer mural program. In 2017, we weren't really anything, um, but that was the grand prize was $500 and to do a mural with. So Rachel Wolf did her first mural with us in 2018, beginning of 2018. And which one was that? <clears throat> That was at 7th West. It has been painted over since, but it was the Seer. Um, I think it might be on our website. Yeah, that was one of our, you know, first collaborative efforts uh, with Rachel. And then Rachel became our creative director. Um, and yeah, the team just kind of started forming organically based off of our art competitions. We have artist calls and really... Um, with that, you know, we ask people to come out and volunteer when we have certain group efforts. And I guess, you know, as, as you get older, you become a better judge of character. You know, you've seen certain characteristics repeat themselves. So, you know, you, you know the people who are showing up um, constantly and are just there because they love it. You know, you, you, you can tell the ones that need to get paid, which is nothing wrong for, with it. You know, so you just really start to 
C character. Um, I did a few interviews and, you know, one of my big interview questions to whether it's admin or even to our artists, um, you know, what is your definition of success? And I feel like that holds a lot of the answers that I'm looking for because they're going to be coming out of your mouth and, you know, whether for our, you know, people that are in our finance department, I would like to hear money is somewhat a part of your idea of success. For you know, lead artists, I would like to hear, you know, uh, working with large groups of of youth or you know, community engagement, as well as hearing what people, you know, there's certain things that I'm I'm looking to hear, um, and sometimes people that blow my mind. Even you know, like I had one person that cried, you know, and. Um, Sierra, matter of fact, she, you know, she, she teared up and was just like, my idea of success, just being here, being a lot. I was just like, oh my God, you are mm. going to be our volunteer coordinator. You mm. are about to make me, people are going to love you. You're going to, so it's, you know, like, yeah, it's just about what fits, you know, we don't have a big team right now, but I feel like we have a very solid team. And then what's great is we always work with guest artists. Um, so we have an extensive list of people that we worked with from DJ Agana to Steve Anderson to um, Khufu and a bunch of street artists. That was the other thing. 2017, I did a lot of murals with um, street, uh, Oakland street artists just to build that rapport and let them know like, hey, I respect what you guys do. I got somewhat of a vision of painting a lot of murals in Oakland. Hopefully mm -hmm. you guys will respect what I do. And, you know, we can kind of just grow together and see each other out here in the, in the world without having to step on each other's toes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of walls, as I always it's say. Walls. So many There's walls. A There's a wall for all the different styles and types yeah. and, and skill levels out there, too, because there's different budgets, you know, like there's... Yeah. There's some key projects and a lot of projects actually are better executed by a team. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's a different ecosystem altogether. I found that as well too, you know, is I have my way of thinking, but when you have a team, you got multiple different ways of, sol of problem solving. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it might even just make your job easier. And I'm like, you know what, let me just sit back and be quiet because this is going to get done amazingly. And we don't got to fight about how it's going to get done. If you guys got great ideas, I'm all ears. Mm -hmm. And our team always has great ideas. So, you know, I rarely have to, you know, make any changes or, or put my foot down because we, you know, we just have a great, we have a great chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I know what it, you know, I know how it feels to be lead artist. I know how it is to be a sensitive artist. So even as the founder, executive director, I treat everybody on the team like a, a co-worker. I, you know, my, my desk is right next to everybody else's desk. I don't have a separate room. I don't have a separate space. I'm right in the mix with everybody and treating everybody like an equal. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this also, it goes far as well too, you know, so. Sounds like you've created a really great um, culture and it seems like the purpose of BAMP is not just making art. It's about bringing together the community and being of service. That's my sense. Would you agree that's part of your, maybe part of your success Definitely. as a group? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and this is where, you know, we have some of our artists live in San Francisco, some live in Hercules, some, uh, I think we have one that commutes from Vallejo. The majority are in Oakland. Um, but yeah, it's just bringing all the different aspects together. You know, that's why I was like, you know what, Bay mural program, I feel like is an all-inclusive name. Um, so yeah, it's more than just creating artwork, it's creating um, programs, you know, it's creating the engagement and ongoing conversation in these communities that we continually work in. Um, and really art is the language that I speak the best. So it's, you know, like this is how I feel it's easiest for me to communicate mm. um, with multiple communities and aspects in different ways. Um, 
so yeah it's, it's more than creating and then also creating employment for some of these artists who you know i sit there and laugh and i'm like wow man you know what this is pretty nice i'm trying to think when i was 21 did i get paid this much to do no i think i was still doing free walls all right right we're we're growing we're developing <laughs> which is as it should be so, i yeah, mean it's, you know it's, you it's mentioned a what a lifesaver ecosystem. Yeah, you, you mentioned yeah. earlier what a lifesaver, you know, having the more established art programs and the Philadelphia art program was to you. It's it's phenomenal that you can build that in Oakland. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, you mentioned um, that you that BAMP uh, is applying to grants and RF, RFQs put out by cities. Are you getting because of increased publicity or word of mouth are people approaching you also or how are you finding most of your bay area mural project um inquiries combination it's you know is no um easy way it's still um you know still the art industry and there's no easy one way to mm -hmm. get your artwork out there so mm -hmm. you know so we like I said, um, let's see, 2017, first three years, we didn't even know how to really apply for grants. So we were really just going almost door to door knocking, just seeing who wanted a mural on whatever walls we thought looked nice. Um, so that was one way we started with a lot of corner stores, liquor stores in West Oakland. Some of them are still, still up and painted. Uh, a lot of beautification projects, um, <clears throat> you know, you know, just, removing old graffiti or finding out if you know the graffiti was even local or if it was somebody from out of town then yeah we were going to just paint over it for uh you know a community and then do something nice based on what they wanted to see uh, so we did a few of those projects uh we partnered with the Balsi, which is a big commercial um developing they they helped us find properties that needed to be repainted mm. uh, so it was, you know, it's a little bit of a process. I feel now we get more calls and people are inquiring um, based off of the artwork that's out there in the community. Um, Getting your name out. Quick question. Do you put anti-graffiti varnish on most of your mural projects? Yes, we do. Uh, just to be on the safe side, we've only probably had a problem with one or two murals being graffiti but it does happen um so we always just make sure we put the varnish on there not only just for the graffiti but also for the uh you know UV. weather protection the uv and um people are always uh concerned about the tagging do you how do you word it when you try to reassure clients that griff that um mural art is going to deter graffiti yeah, there's no data really out there to support, um, you know, that graffiti can be deterred with murals. Um, you really just have to, the people have to see the proof. And I think there's pretty, there's there's a good amount of proof even, you know, in every city of where murals have been and how, you know, there's less graffiti in that community, um, especially if you get the local artists involved. You know, of course, nobody wants to, you know, once once you take ownership in painting something, you don't want to debase it. So, you know, I think that that's the smart route. And then mm -hmm. also we guarantee uh, people, you know, depending on the budget, but we also like to put a maintenance plan of a year or two years um, just to add that sense of assurance to where people are like, okay, all right, even if somebody does, graffiti it or tag it then you guys will come back and fix it and we've had to do that i think twice and usually it's just like somebody's name and, and a big color you know so it, it hasn't been a major problem that's a good idea so you put it in the contract that if you, this mural gets tagged in the next 18 months we are going to come out and fix it for free yeah, well i you know or, you can say or free or yeah you can put a little a maintenance whatever yeah because depending on how they tag it or how big your mural is or if you needed a scissor lift or anything like that you know like you got to take all those things in consideration so and do you ever um how do you 
keep copyright or how do you manage copyright on your contract? Do you ever get requested to waive our rights and and also Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, as <clears throat> we try and maintain the copyrights of murals. Um, we always retain the artwork copyright. So the design is always owned by us. The mural can get a little tricky because it is somebody's property. Um, so usually we sign an agreement where, you know, they can use the image for promotional purposes. Um, but, you know, they're not trying to sell it or, or sell any merchandise with images of that artwork. So yes, they own the building, which technically they own the paint on that building, um, but we own the design, so. So they can't sell posters of exactly. your mural. Yeah, but they can put a photo of their building as yeah. they want, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, and you know, I'm hoping that this this podcast is helpful to artists, you know, who want to figure out how to make murals as a living. And I'm wondering if you have any specific encouragement for artists who want to get into murals that you haven't covered yet. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really, I would say you just have to go out and do it. Like I said, even if you got to start with corner stores, um, you know, um, I also practiced underneath the bridges uh, when I was living in the Washington DC area, you know, cause that's the thing with murals, you have to practice somewhere. Nobody wants to give you a job to practice on. <laughs> if somebody's paying you, you know, and, and this is the tough part, right? I don't promote, you know, graffiti or going and vandalizing, but you got to start somewhere. So, you know, your canvas can only get but so big, try and work on the biggest canvas that you can. Um, because one thing with muraling that separates it from, you know, a canvas painting is the proportioning is, you know, how big you're, you're painting, how life size. Um, so in order to practice that, you got to practice on big surfaces. Um, you know, big shapes, big portraits, big flowers. Um, so, you know, finding plywood, finding somewhere to where you can practice these motifs, um, and then just I always getting- I say, start with the inside of your grandmother's garage. <laughs> Grandma's garage is a good place. Uh, but schools also are a great bridge. They offer big walls and you can be of service. Um, yeah. There's usually a lot, of, a lot of blank walls, windowless walls in schools. Yeah, schools are definitely a great place to start, you know, with the with the muraling. Um, I think we probably a good 30% of the murals we do every year are, are at schools. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, schools definitely um, got to do the fingerprinting, you know, uh, yep. yeah. you're working with schools. So, you know, a lot more those, contracts, I a lot more contracts. To sign. <laughs> I, I, mean, I did a mural for the Los Angeles unified school district last year and it was like six different signature pages for you know being on it's liability to be on site you have to yep. you know vendor and it's tricky principals it's tricky. really they have to go through a lot to make it happen i can see why you know it's a bureaucratic um path to to, to paint a mural at the school it takes a little longer and as you bring that up for people that really have the drive and want don't get to tears because there's a lot more to muraling than just the actual designing and painting. Um, I tell people we do mural tours downtown Oakland. I tell people we probably spend about 20 to 30% of our overall time on a project painting the mural. A good 70% of the time is designing, going back and forth with the, the um, client, making sure we have insurance for the wall, making sure we got everything in place, picking supplies, picking colors, so we ain't got to do a whole bunch of running back and forth. So I would say the mural part is such a quick high. It, you know, like it's, it's great, but even the Steph Curry mural, we did that in three weeks, but it took us probably about three months to, 
design it, make sure everybody was in agreement with the design, finding the wall, making sure the YMCA signed off on it. Then the FBI owned the top two floors of the parking deck, so we had to do FBI clearance. And so don't get deterred. If you oh my gosh. And what's, wall, is, how many more, artists were working on that one? Um, we had about seven artists work on that one. Okay, that's fun. It must have been fun. You guys just put on music and yell, yell to each other and you're just <laughs> bossing everyone around. Hey, stay over there. Do that. This color. Wrong color, man. Do this one. Oh man, it's 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 definitely when when doing big projects like that is, yeah, everybody has to be on the same page. And like I said, you another difference between muraling and um, canvas painting with boom stage, boom uh, boom lifts and swing stages, they got a little sway to them. So even when you're painting a straight line, you got to learn how to you know get that straight line in there while you're kind of like. You know, on a little two-inch sway back and forth. So, how high uh, up was how high up was the curry one at the top? Uh, one hundred and fifteen feet. Wow. Nine stories. Little wind up there. Just a little bit. So that was a um, swing. What it, what it goes over the top, right? They use it to clean windows. Yeah, swing stage. Yep. Swing stage. So you start your day at the top and you have to get everyone's bathroom breaks aligned. <laughs> their, their food and water quantities are on board. And then you just oh, go over as a group and work in a, work one section at a time, huh? Yep, yep. And then it's a lot of even, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a lot of getting, you know, crossing people's intimate space. Usually when you're painting down the ground, you have space, nobody's gonna walk right in front of you, nobody's reaching right behind. But when you're on a you know swing stage, you, you gotta cross behind people while they're painting, ask somebody to hand you, you know, sometimes we're working in the same little section. So you gotta be comfortable with, you know, people's body odor and mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's everything. So it's just like the chemistry has to be there yeah. or yeah, it's just going to take a lot longer. And you can't, you can't, it's not just a matter of spilling paint if you kick a little container <laughs> over. It's like it could hurt somebody, right? So exactly. yep. you're like, you cannot leave anything on the floor of that swing lift, right? I'm imagining. Nope, nope. nope. And yeah, there's cars that were underneath. So we had to even get, take out oh, the insurance policy. It was ridiculous just because mm -hmm. of the cars. And uh, so, yeah, it's like I said, don't get deterred. The bigger the project, the bigger the wall, the more tape, the more people, the more chefs in the pot. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's all part of the growth and being able to take on these, you know, like really cool projects and keeping a whole team busy. Um, the corner store, you know, the, the corner stores wall isn't big enough for a team of 22 anymore. You know, when we were only three, it was like, okay, we can hit this. But now it's like, all right, let's let's see if we can you know go for the biggest walls that we can and i feel like um for any muralist you know you're always just trying to or artist you know like you know you try and push the envelope and i feel like muraling is size is a part of that envelope you know so you're trying to see you know how you can get bigger wider larger um and i and i, I say i say all this as a person who's afraid of heights no oh yeah you were up oh. there though you were up oh there. yeah oh definitely i'm up there on all of them but oh my gosh. you just don't look this down is, this is where i love art so much i'll do anything for art is <laughs> uh, like i'm anything any other reason to go up there just even for a scenic view i'm not doing i'm not <laughs> but to get to get the detail right that you know has got to be right you're, you want to you want to be up there on Ex exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, having a larger team, having the experience of working together at that scale, it seems that that would open up a certain tier of projects, like it would put you in a whole different realm um, that wouldn't have been available to you two years ago. Um, and also pricing wise, all of a sudden, when you get to these levels, you must be having to just come up with huge numbers and then and then double it, right? I mean, because at a certain point, there's just so many factors and time and hours involved in contingencies. I mean, that's that's what they do in business when it gets you. You have to start 10xing stuff, right? 
Pretty much, yep. So that's that, especially the Steph Curry, because we had Rakuten, Nike, the Warriors, they all wanted to weigh in. And we were like, okay, great. I'm glad we got your attention. I'm glad that you, know, you want us to go back to the drawing board and add all of your input. But yeah, this is this is a process. It's not just one client. We got six clients, so yeah, we got to do the six X button. And all right, now and <clears throat> and then also along with that, I think for the Steph Curry mural, we did between thirty and forty renditions mm -hmm. before we came to that final one, where typically we might do three. For you know, we'll do three if you're still, and we hope to usually you know satisfy or take all the elements that client has spoke on and try and get it within three, you know, mm -hmm. drafts. Um, there's sometimes we got to do it for them, but never before have we did 30 <laughs> drafts, but it, it, you know, they were paid for. So we're like, okay, well, you know, we can keep on doing alterations until mm -hmm. you guys are satisfied. So. Did you feel like they actually got better with each draft? Um, partially they did. And then I feel what, um, is hard for young artists to digest is repetition is the key to design and also to familiarity. Mm -hmm. So if you draw something four or five times, now 30, 40 times before you actually get up on the wall, you got that thing so dialed in and memorized. So once you actually get up on the wall and you got to do bigger before. Might have helped. It, it, it helps as opposed to just seeing the image one time and thinking you know where everything goes, but you really don't. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, there's so many walls out there to be painted that not that many nine-story mural projects go through in the Bay Area, you know? So the other thing is you got to think no. of the whales as like, well, this needs to support our team really for a year because maybe we're not going to, you know, yeah. you have to think in terms of the whole organization, in terms of how many of these you can do a year it just it seems like you're on a whole different level of how to think about pricing it is and and you know that's where we have the financial department that helps out and really goes through that so i can Good. not really just be so focused on the numbers you know they tell me what we got to do what we got to bring in and then i can still have my you know, my frontal lobe, you know, devoted to creativity as opposed to just like, okay, we need to make sure that these numbers matter. Are. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I want to tap in and make sure we're on the right path and we're not going out of business, but I really still want to be in the creative direction meetings. I want to make sure that we're, we're problem solving to where, you know, the recipients, the viewers, the children, the youth groups, they're still excited, even if, you know, some projects aren't the biggest budgets. And then that's the other part too, is that we, we try and make sure that the corporate projects do pay a pretty penny so that we can also go and do a few free projects for, you know, youth groups and schools that can't necessarily afford to get the paint on their wall. So, you know, we find that, that nice balancing act. Andre, I think you've really found your calling as as this executive director role. I think <laughs> it's like it pulls together all the threads of your life. You must just feel so excited to to be you right now. <laughs> I I wouldn't want to be anybody else. Uh, definitely. It's so, and you're you're so well suited for it. I just can tell, just in your voice and your approach, that your heart is really online with your work and you're doing it for all the right reasons and i'm pretty sure you're going to have really fabulous success andre you're just you're very oh, inspiring man, thank you yeah. thank you thank you yeah and i mean it's yeah you you know when you've been doing this for 20 years it's you know it's ah oh, i can't even put it into words but it's just like like i said this is what i want to do for the rest of my life um, so I'm so glad that, you know, I know the hard work has been put into it, but it's still almost like I'm living a dream, yeah. um, <clears throat> to where I'm like, wow, okay. You know, this is, this is happening. You know, every day I'm excited. For the work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's surreal. You know, I'm excited to go to work every day. I'm excited to come back to the family and just keep that, that cycle going. Um, because I feel like, yeah being happy with your career and your work also is reflective of, you know, just 
you know, being able to come home happy so that I'm not bringing home that stress to my family when they just want to play or when they just want to, you know, take it easy and let their hair down. It's like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's, you know, like life is, is beautiful. It's not that serious. You know, I can, you know, I can navigate without, because, you know, my father was in the military and he would come home every day from work and have to fix himself a drink at the, at the little bar before he could even socialize with the family. And I'm like, you know what? I do not want, and he wouldn't even say anything, but I'm like, I do not want to come home that stressed. Whatever is on his mind, that is some heavy, heavy, like, I don't want to come home that stressed. Yeah. Yeah. And you come home tired, but kind of uh, in a very satisfied, very satisfied fatigue, I'm going to guess. Satisfied fatigue. I like that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your your insights with us today and your path. And I know so many people are going to be inspired by the words you shared today. And so I appreciate you taking your time out of your, um, you know, the beautiful work that you do and your beautiful family of six. It's amazing. You're you're a leader at this point, and you're you're in that phase <laughs> of life where you're carrying a heavy. Um, slay but you do it so lightly and with so much heart and beauty and just really an inspiration thank you morgan i greatly greatly appreciate that because it's not easy but it's it's a labor of love that i wouldn't have chose to do it any other way yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) great all right well thank you so much my friend thanks for coming on the show today and i know we're going to be hearing great things from you so uh, we'll stay tuned and hopefully have you on the show again sometime soon. Sounds good. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of If These Walls Could Talk. If you enjoyed the content, please rate and review so that more artists and art advocates can find and enjoy this content. Until next time. Happy painting.